0: exciting happening this Matzah Shabbos Saturday night we're having Zusha here they're a very popular group group of musicians and they're taking the young Jewish world by storm They're very powerful so they're going to be here this Saturday night at Mayan performing uh, reaching deep and hopefully uplifting our souls into the spirit of Adar into the energy of Amunah and strength and preparing for Mashiach so everybody come Saturday night at 9pm here this Matzah Shabbos we might have a big crowd Um, uh, it seems like that's what's going to be so you'll probably do yourself well if you pre-order a ticket online at mayon.com slash Zusha Okay. Thank you. Uh, tonight's class is... Also, I want to remind everyone about the Moshiach classes that we're having every Sunday morning, Moshiach Decoded. We've already had two, two of our classes in the series. They're really uh, important classes uh, to come and join. So even if you missed the earlier one, that's, that's fine. Uh, you can always join this class. Each class is its own topic although they all connect to each other. So there's, it's a six-week course. There's another four classes. Okay, tonight's Shear has been sponsored by Rabbi Mordechai Katz. This is in honor <coughs> of his father's yard site, coming up this week. Um, on a Shabbos, Nachman ben Usher haKoyhein. On the 16th of Ador, may his neshama have a great aliyah. To the greatest of heights, may he channel lots and lots and lots of blessings to you uh, and to the entire Katz family, uh, children and grandchildren for all that you need, all that you want in the material and in the spiritual, much, much, much bracha and only, only good things. Another dedication was by Rabbi Naftali Astulin, and this is in honor of his father's yard site, which is on Shushan Purim. Zalman Leib ben May his neshama have a very, very great aliyah. We've spoken about him already in previous classes. He was an unbelievable person, a huge, 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 huge Torah sage, a man of mesiras nefesh, uh, self-sacrifice, an incredible person. So may he be a uh, a uh, shining light from above and channel lots of blessings to you with for more energy. I don't know if we can get more energy to Rabbi Yastulin, but uh, he's got a lot, a lot, a lot of energy. We all have a hard time keeping up with him. But even more energy, till till you wake up the entire world and let everybody feel that Mashiach is truly, 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 really, really coming. May we merit to see that. And I would love to see the joy uh, as it comes to those, particularly people like yourself, whose energy regarding Mashiach and hope and desire and anticipation and assurance that it's happening any moment, is so strong. Can you imagine the, the, the joy at, at, at the actual coming of Mashiach that's going to be Bekar of Mamish? Okay, with that having been said, um, we are ready to begin tonight's class. It's a, tonight we're going to dedicate, we did it last week and we're going to have a double Purim class. One last week and another class for Purim, because Purim is such a great holiday, it's worth speaking about it again and again and again. Anyways, there is a fascinating story in the Midrash. On the Midrash, this is in Midrash Rabbah, Esther Rabbah, you know, on the Megillus Esther. On the story, on the uh, scroll of Esther, there is a Midrash. And that's Midrash Rabba, And in Parekh Zion, um, Ois Yud Zion. So it says as follows in the Midrash. That at the time when Haman managed to convince Ahashverosh to, um, to um, agree to annihilate all the Jewish people and they had just completed signing the decree, the edict, the documents and it, and it was handed over to Haman. And now all Haman needed to do was to send this, these letters out across the globe to wherever people are so they can prepare themselves in a couple of months for this great program and this great massacre. Haman was exhilarated. He couldn't believe that it went so easy, like we spoke last week about the mound and the pit and how Ahasuerus wasn't too interested in the Jews as well, so he was willing to sell them off so quickly. We discussed the anti-Semitism in last week's class. But in any case, um, Haman was so exhilarated and he was very happy. And it says... Let me read the medrash to you. And at the time that those letters were sealed, and they were given into the hands of Haman, and Haman came full of joy, him and all his buddies. u'pagu So they're walking home, and they're half drunk, and they're all excited, and they got their champagne and their beer and whatever else they're drinking, and they encounter Mordechai. Now you realize, the whole thing was all about Mordechai. Mordechai was the one who provoked Haman. And he got him really angry. He didn't bow down to him. So now he sees that Mordechai, the Jew, and now he's got, like, now he's got permission from the king, not only to kill Mordechai, but to kill all the Jewish people. So when he sees him, the Mordechai, at that time when Haman cites Mordechai, he also sees that Mordechai sees, at that time, Mordechai notices three children three little children that are coming out of school. See what's going on over here? Haman is walking with his rowdy group. Okay, they're excited. They're filled with arrogance. They're filled with their with, with, with their horrible uh, uh, maliciousness. And they see Mordechai the Jew. And they notice that Mordechai notices three little children. Now what happens? and Mordechai starts running after these little children he's not running away from Haman but he's running to these kids so when Haman sees and his whole entourage that Mordechai is running after the children they notice that Mordechai it looked like was, was, he's running after them for what purpose? he wants to ask them something so Haman followed Mordechai to hear what is Mordechai going to ask the children. As soon as Mordechai arrived to these little children. Mordechai asked one of the children, relate to me the verse, the Pasuk, that they taught you in Cheder today. He went to school. The kid was coming home from school. So Mordechai said to this little boy, tell me what did you learn in school today? Tell me your chumash. Tell me your verse. So this little boy says, this is what I learned, a verse in Proverbs, a verse in Mishle. It says like this in the third chapter. Don't be afraid from a sudden terror. Or from the... Plans of the wicked or the, the whatever the, the wickeds are, are gathering together. Kisavo, that, that that fright or that scare that the wicked are doing, don't be afraid that that is going to happen. That's it. That's the verse. Don't fear anybody. Pasach Hasheni, That was the first child. Now the second child, Pasach Hasheni, the second son, the second child also wants to give what he learned in Cheder. The Omar and he says to Mordechai, Ani karisi I read today in Cheder. You probably want to know what I read too, right? So I read in Cheder today as follows. Pasuk, sefer. And in this Pasuk is where I concluded today. In other words, I learned a whole few Pasukim. Like children usually go to Cheder, they don't just learn one Pasuk. So I learned quite a few Pasukim. But on this Pasuk, is where we got to. This was the last verse, and this is where we stopped. What's the pasuk? pasuk. And this is a pasuk from Yeshaya Ches. And there it says like this: Utsu the v'sufar. They they plan plans, or they 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 scheme schemes. The wicked, they scheme a scheme. The sufar, but it's all going to be. Dis- the, 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 it, it all is the the the. the um, Nullified. It's all, it's all ruined. Dabru davar, they speak words to do something. They speak a matter. but it doesn't stand. Their plans, their doing, their schemes doesn't have any standing power. Why? Ki because God is with us. So that's the second pasuk that Mordechai hears. Pasach hashlishi. And now the third child says, Mordechai, let me tell you my pasuk. The Umar, and he says like this This is what I learned Vaat and even at when you're at an older age I am still here, God says. and when you become at your ripe old age, Ani Ezboil I still support you. Ani I have made you. Vani Esa and I carry you. Vani Ezboil and I support you. And I will cause you, and I will therefore save you from any kind of problem. That's the pasuk that the three children coming from Cheder told Mordechai. These, these verses. One from Mishlei and the other two from Yeshaya. Well, that's, that's a nice thing to hear. At a, at, at a very, very, very dark, dark, dark moment like this. You realize what's happening now. Haman is holding in his hands the papers. He's holding in his hands the decree to wipe out to annihilate, to the kill, to destroy. All the Jewish people, from youngster to old. Everybody. All on one day. God forbid what he was holding in his hand. And it was there. The power. He had the, the, the full the full the full um, support of the king. And this was the worst decree ever in Jewish history. Never were the Jews in such a threat. Mordechai at that moment hears from the children such beautiful verses about don't be afraid of sudden of a sudden threat. Don't, they, 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 they scheme schemes, but it's never gonna happen. God says, I'm with you all along. In your old age, no matter when, I'm here, I'm holding you, I'm supporting you. Wow. So what happens? Kivan Mordechai when Mordechai hears these beautiful words coming out of these innocent children's mouths, Sahaki begins laughing. He rejoiced with a very, very great joy. Now Haman doesn't want to see that. So Haman says to him. Why is it that you're so happy? I thought that when I'm walking around with, these, with this, you're going to be trembling in your pants. You're going to be terrified. Wipe that smile off your face. He's so angry. He can't stand that Mordechai is happy. He says, why are you so happy? To these little children, what do you care about what these kids are saying? Amar, said, al is toivay shebesrani. They gave me good news. They gave me very good news. And because of the good news that I received from these children, I'm very happy. What, what's the good news? <speaking in Hebrew> that I shouldn't be afraid from that scheme or that horrible, wicked uh, plan that you have planned against us. <speaking in Hebrew> so at that moment, Mordechai is happy full of life, full of joy. Haman goes into a rage. Haman Arasha, the wicked Haman. The Omar, and he says, I am not going to stretch out my hand to harm anybody before I first deal with the kids. It's these little children that I'm going to murder first before I murder anyone else. So Haman's vicious plan was that as, as, as the day comes of that bloodbath, the first ones he's going to kill is grab all the little children and slaughter them first. Because they provoked in him in, at this moment. That's the story. That's what the medrash says. So now we need to analyze this a little bit and get a better understanding about what's going on over here. And simply, the reason why Mordechai is so happy when he hears what the children are saying is because we find that it was a common practice in the times of... It was a common practice throughout... in, 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 in the earlier days, and maybe even you can do that today. It's a question, actually, in Allah. And that is that when a person wants to... kind of... they're unsure in a certain situation about the outcome of a certain situation, to go check with a child. And you ask a child, tell me your verse. Tell me what you learned. And... When the child says something, you see what the child says, and that's kind of seen as a sign from above. The Gomorrah says it many times. The Gomorrah says, even uh, 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 the um, Aspasionus, who was, uh, I forgot how they refer to him, Aspasian or someone like that, who came to destroy the first temple, the, first base, uh, the second base of he stopped the child and he asked him, Tell me a verse. He wanted to know like, if he's going to be successful or laying siege on Jerusalem. And then when the child told him that God is going to punish those who, those who destroy his thing, he ran away. He said, he said, God wants to destroy his home and then he's going to take revenge on me. And I'm going to be his messenger. So he ran away. And so on and so forth. The Talmud says that this was in many places that there are stories where people turn to a child and ask the child to give me your pasach. So similar to that, Mordechai, over here is year, is turning to a child. Now, by the way, you should know there, there is a prohibition against um, making looking for these particular signs. It's called um, Ma'onen. Ma'onen means to look at certain times and say, oh, this is a lucky time. I should stop my work on this time because this astrological sign is a time of good luck. People have all these, all these uh, what do they call it, um, Um, no, people have these uh, what are they called uh, um, no there's a word for it why am I just huh oh, no 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 there's a word where people superstitions where you, you, you know, this is a good time that's not a good time and so on and so forth so J- Jews are not allowed to do that because these are rooted in in Avodah zara and, and idolatry so a Jew is not allowed to do that so there's a question in, in halacha if you're allowed to even go to ask a child because if you for instance if you if you if, if you see a bird flying or a deer rashi says you see a deer going across holding a piece of bread in his mouth or an animal and you say if he drops his bread is a bad sign but if he manages to get across the street or to get with the bread in his is a good sign for me to looking at these various different things and seeing it as signs and the, as a result of that as as a result of that you know going doing something or or avoiding doing something, starting a project, or not starting it, or doing so-and-so, or picking a day to do something based on all these things, we're not allowed to do so. So the question is, this is, sim- this is something similar. So the Rambam says that this, that, Maimonides is of the opinion, that this that we find sometimes that people did ask children and things like that, it's, when they, it's because they did not do an action afterward. In other words, when is it forbidden in the Torah to do something like this? Is If you decide, you know, I'm going to test. Should I take the flight today or I shouldn't take the flight? Should I go to this, you know, should I open, the, you know, should I, do, should, I, should I invest today, you know, should I invest in this stock or I shouldn't? Should I do this or not? And you're doing it based on these signs and based on that you're going to act. You're not allowed to do that. So the Rambam says that's because Mordechai didn't do an action he just heard, or stories like this, when you hear and you're happy about it, you just see it as a simon tov, as a good sign, that's okay, as long as you're not acting on that information. Others, however, argue, and that is the safer Hasmag and the Beis Yosef brings it Sefer Mitzvah's Godal from the Smag, and also um, other um, other Duran, Rebbein Onissim, and others are of the opinion that, to children, you're allowed to ask what they learned and use that as a sign and even act upon it. Why? Because children, what they say, when, they, when you ask an innocent child what he learned and he tells you what he studied, then that's a form of prophecy. It's a small little prophecy. It's like they say the words, ke'en nevuah. It's like a prophecy from God. Or it's like, um, ke'en nevuah, or the Ramban, the, the, the Ramban uses the term, Nevuah Katana, a small prophecy. You see the, uh, the Shach says, over here in, in, in Simen Kuf Ayin Tes, in Day and the laws of Maone and Mechash, the laws of, of sorcery and the like. He says, V'chemuter mashma das harav, it's the das of, of the, the Ramah, V'ha-poiskim amos-poiskim, da'afilu even to do an action. The Lismach Asid, and not just on the past day it's a good sign, but actually rely upon it in terms of making a decision of how to act or or what not to do. Al Pasuk to rely latter rely on a verse that's coming from a child. Why? Mishim the of Ktzas Navua. It's considered like a small little prophecy. Similarly, we have today, for instance, many chasidim when they want to know what they should do in their life. They open up a, a volume. They write a letter to the Rebbe. And they used to be able to get an answer physically. But after... Uh, where where one can, can't communicate and get the, the, a, a direct answer. So Chassidim uh, have the Minig to write a letter and put it into one of the books. And then open it up. And people have amazing, amazing stories of unbelievable situations where... All the questions that they're asked are answered in a letter that the Rebbe had written to someone about some other question, completely other circumstances, but it turns out that sometimes on questions A, B, C, and D, all of them is a, are answered on that page. There are many, many unbelievable stories like that. And it goes into the whole halachic question, are you allowed to do that? I once heard a share. Is halachically, are you permitted to do so? Obviously, it's a min and so it must have been. But based on what I'm sharing with you now, that there are certain communications that are considered kosher, like the communication of asking a little child that's okay. In any case we can say that that's the story. Mordechai heard a prophecy now. He turned to the child because through turning through the children Mordechai wanted to know what is you know there's a terrible decree upon the Jewish people what's going to be the outcome. So for that reason he turned to the children. When the children told him these things he was happy. Why was he happy? Cuz he hears a prophecy from God. Don't worry, all's taken care of. God says I'm on it. It's great. Hashem says, I'm on it. You have nothing to worry about. So Mordechai is very happy. Problem with this is, if this is the whole story, if this is what it's all about, then what's the emphasis in the story that Mordechai met three children and he met them. See, the Medrash is telling us so much detail over here. And we know that whenever the Medrash relates something, the detail is important. It's not just, okay, the general thing. If the Medrash is Torah, and it's very accurate with its words, it's telling us, number one, we're, at which point, when did Mordechai encounter these children? He encountered them when they were coming home from school. He met children. What's important, what makes a difference? Where? They were coming home from school. And then he says, he asked three children, each of the children. He, or, he doesn't say he asked the three children. He asked them what they learned, and all three of them give him an answer. So why is that important that there were three children? Kabbalistically, I'm just going to share with you something, something, something really, really beautiful, which I think I said it already in a class a few years ago on Purim. Kabbalistically, there is a little teaching from, um, this is parenthetically, um, from Reb Levi Yitzchak, who is a very great Kabbalist, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father. So he says an interesting thing. He says that Purim, is the, the gematria of Purim, is three times the names of God, Yudkei Vavkei and Elohim. Yudkei k is 26. Three times 26, plus three times 60, 86. 86 times three, Elohim, plus three times Yudkei K together equal Purim. You can do the math later, because they you're going to get lost. So add it together. Purim equals Havaya Elohim, Yudke Vavke, with Elohim, three times. And he explains why. He says because in the time of Purim, there was, the reason why the the whole decree came about, there was a time of extreme constriction. And constriction, Kabbalistically, is called Moichen Dekatmos. It was an immature time. In other words, the the, the entire order of the cosmos was very, very, very tight. Very, 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 um, very stiff. And very constricted. And that's called like the world had the entire system, the entire godly relationship with the world was in a level of katnos. Katnos means in a level of, 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 of shrinkage, of being small. And that's what the name Elohim is. The name of Elohim is the name of God of harshness, which is the name of tzimtzum, contraction, and so forth. The whole miracle of Purim came about as a result of our chuva and, and, and the like. We stretched open. We caused a, an expansion. The whole miracle of Purim was to open up and bring about an expansion in this constriction. And that's why when the miracle happened, what, miracles are associated with yud ke vav Vavke yud ke vav kei represents expansive mochen, expansive mind, expansive energy. Elohim is constricted energy. Purim is Gematria three times Elohim together with three times Yudke Vavke, is because in the each constriction of the name of Elohim was drawn down the expansiveness of Yudke Vavke. So we brought, what, in, in his terminology, we brought the Mohen de Gadlus, the expansive Mohen, into the Mohen of Katlus, into the constricted Mohen. And that's why the miracle of Purim is very unique. It was a miracle. But it wasn't an explosive miracle. It was a miracle that was worked within nature. It concealed itself within nature. Because the whole idea of Purim is, there is an enclavement, there was a drawing down of expansive mindfulness into constricted mindfulness. And that's the miracle. That's why he says the whole story, the whole miracle of Purim begins with three children... Because the three children, a child, has an immature mind, has a constricted mind. Mordechai says to them, tell me your pasuk. And when the children said the psukim, Torah represents expansive. So when these little children related a pasuk of Torah that they learned, these children were drawing down into their immature minds Torah, which is infinite and boundless. So that's internally the whole power of the miracle of Purim was taking place, or was happening with these little children, Haman is coming back with a decree, which that decree comes about from these constrictions. Mordechai immediately sees three little children, and he goes to the children, because the children are constricted minds. And he tells them, say your pasuk, when they're learning Torah, they themselves are opening their minds for expansion. So they're bringing the Yutke vavke into the name of Elohim. Three children, each one of them say, saying the Pasuk. Three times Havaya into three times the Tetragrammaton, Yutke Vavke, which is the expansive mochin, into the name of Elokim, which is the constrictive mochin, constrictive mind. And you have Purim. Purim is Gematria. Three times Yudke Vavke and Elokim. Because the miracle of Purim is that miracle. That's parenthetical, that's his idea. But that's all mystical. We're trying to look at this from a simple place from a simple simple understanding what's the need of Mordechai to hear it from three children if it's a prophecy get the prophecy from one child what's the point the other question is the order and how the children recited these verses these psukim the first child said pisaim don't be afraid of a sudden fear that passage comes from the book of proverbs of mishlei the next two psukim that the next two children said comes from the psukim of yeshaya isaiah now, Yeshaya, in the order of Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim, the order is first Torah, then, then the prophets, and then Ksuvim, then the writings. Mishle, Proverbs, is in the writings. So how come the way the order came out is we begin with the last Pasuk, the Pasuk in Mishle, and then we reverse, and we go to the Psukim of Yeshaya? It should have been in the right order. And if you say maybe it works the opposite order Usually if you're going in order You can either go from the top to the bottom Or the bottom up So maybe it's the reverse order But it's not true Because the last pasuk that was said Sorry if, if it would have been that way Then after the pasuk of Mishle Should have been the pasuk um, 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 the, 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 the last pasuk that he said Which is that the adzikna Should have been the second one And the, la- and the last one should have been Utsu Etsa, Because that's the order If you're, if you're working reverse because in Yeshayah itself, the P- pasuk Utsu Eitza is is first, and the pasuk Va- An- Adzikna is is later, is in a later chapter. So it should have been either that way or that way. Why is the why is this order so so confused or so mixed up? We have to say that there is something deep over here. Another question that is to ask on this on this idea: What happens according to what we what we see over here? Is Mordechai hears? from the children, that what? That, oh no, so another thing is when Mordechai re- responds to Haman and when, when Haman says to him, why are you so happy? Why are you so happy? So Mordechai says to Haman, I heard good news. is toivais bisrani. They gave me good news. Now if Mordechai is considering, considering this as a prophecy, Mordechai should have really, really, really stuck at the Haman really strong. Not saying I heard good news, they gave me good news. He should have said, I heard a prophecy. I received a nevuah, a prophecy, that I have nothing to fear you. He should have laughed him right off. And He's been laughing at him anyways. He didn't bow down to him anyways. He's not afraid of Haman. Mordechai doesn't fear Haman the tiniest bit. So why does Mordechai say to him, they gave me good news? He should have said, I just received a divine prophecy. Because as we say, when children say, when children are saying, it's prophecy. From all of this it seems clear, as we said earlier, that Mordechai did not see this as a prophecy. This was not seen as an outright prophecy from God that it's going to be good. Or else Mordechai would have said, and we can explain the reason why Mordechai didn't see it as a prophecy. Just an interesting idea. The reason we say that you could go to a child and say to a child, tell me you're a pasuk. And it says that, it's a, and as we, I said earlier from the, from the smak, from the ran, from other misfortune. From other that they say this is considered a prophecy, the reason for that is the Ran says this is all connected to the idea that once the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, and there's no more prophecy, so how does God communicate? So God communicates this through children. Once, since there was no more Navua, there are no more prophets. <coughs> so Hashem is lo- what are the prophets? The prophets were very, very big tzaddikim, very holy people. They were very, and they were worthy for God to come. Commun- communicate through them. Since the time when prophecy is over, we don't have such tzaddikim, people that are worthy to receive a communication directly from God. So, but if God needs to do so, who is He going to choose? Who is the cleanest? So He goes to the purest. The purest are the little children. Oh, but Mordechai was still living in the time when there was still prophecy. Because the, la- the last prophets were still Ch- Haggai Malachi. They were still the companions of Mordechai. They were still living... Being that the last prophecy did not yet stop in the days of Mordechai. So therefore, it wasn't yet given over to the children. Since it wasn't, in other words, the only reason it's given over to children was after there's no prophecy to the adults, God now goes and He uses the children. Since in the days of Mordechai, there were still leftover prophets, if God wants to send the send prophecy, send some communication, He could have done it through the prophet. So therefore you can understand why Mordechai did not see this communication as a prophecy, Which would explain something else very, very important over here. From the Midrash it seems to imply that when did this happen? This whole encounter with Haman and Mordechai. The Midrash says clearly it was as soon as Haman received the signed documents and the copies that he's going to send out to across the world. That what? That everybody should prepare themselves to destroy the Jewish people. It was at that very time, he left all happy with his group of friends, and they were all all in seventh heaven. And they're all walking home with with Haman, they're accompanying him, and it's at that moment they see Mordechai. And that's the story where Mordechai sees the children, and Mordechai goes running after the children. And he asks them for the psukim. If this is the case, Mordechai receives now a prophecy that what? What does Mordechai receive now a prophecy that nothing is going to happen? We're all good. God is taking care of it. Nothing to be afraid. So why do we have the whole story of the Megillah? What happens right after this? It says, Mordechai heard what happened and Mordechai went out and he put on sack clothing and he put on ash on his head and he went out into the middle of the streets and he cried out, Z'okha g'doy a loud and bitter cry. And he stood there and he called the Jewish people to fast for three days and three nights. Mordechai turned over worlds. Why is he turning over the worlds? Because it's a horrible decree. Well, you just heard a prophecy and Mordechai is happy. So it seems like something is very strange. Why is Mordechai after he... One thing is for sure. That this was not a prophecy. It was good news. But you can still ask the question. If it's good news, it's not a prophecy, but it's good news. So then why is Mordechai making such a ruckus afterwards? You should come to the Jewish people say, "Listen here, stuff is going on, but don't worry, guys. Chill, it's all good." I spoke to the children, the little kids. they told me, he doesn't do that. He calls for a massive chuva. It says he gathered actually 22,000 children. And, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and they were fasting for three days and three nights. And they didn't go home, these children. They sat with Mordechai. And they were learning Torah for these, these three days. It says that Haman came and he heard Mordechai learning with the children the laws about the Omer and the Beis HaMikdash. And the, the mothers were coming to the children and saying, come home, you, didn't, you have to go to sleep, you have to, you're tired, you're weak, eat something. And the children said, we're not going, we're staying with Mordechai. And it says that Haman came and he put the children in chains. He chained all the children because he says as we know from the story earlier that Haman says they're the first ones I'm going to slaughter. So but we see clearly that Mordechai went and made a huge 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 effort to nullify the decree even after he has the story with the information of the children. So therefore we have to understand the story is on a different level. And it's really really an amazing explanation. What is Mordechai hearing from the children? The truth is, as we're going to see soon, Mordechai does not see, hear from the children, any futuristic prophecy. It's when Mordechai met these children and he heard what they said, and he saw on what kind of deep, spiritual and godly connection these children have. Specifically in the fact that all three children said these verses. And each verse, as we're going to see in a few moments, express something deeper, in our connection, and in our amunah, and our faith, and our connection to God, Mordechai saw that Am Yisrael Chai, the Jewish people are alive, deeply alive, and that our connection to God is so real and so deep. And once he saw that, he knew that we cannot be destroyed. It's not like he heard from them a prophecy. It's not like they told him, all will be well, then he wouldn't have done anything. What he heard from them is that there is now Potential if these little children are so Jewish, when he saw that, he knew there is now, there is hope for all the Jewish people. Let's understand that a little better. Let's go deeper into the story of Purim. Because the story of Purim has such a contradiction to it. An amazing contradiction to it. The decree came about because there was one religious zealot Jew who can't behave himself in a Persian empire and he has to flaunt his Judaism. That's what most of the Jews were saying. What do you think the Jews were saying? Mordechai, who asked you? You want to be a rabbi? Be a rabbi and quietly at home. You need to go sit out there in front. When you're in Rome, act like a Roman. Behave. You're amongst Gentile nations. Take your tzitzis and stick it inside. Don't wear your tzitzis out. You don't have to sit there with your big yarmulke, with your talis or whatever it is behave, behave like a Persian behave like one one of society if you read the story you see why did Haman get mad because everybody is bowing down to him and one guy doesn't bow down to him, and he saw Mordechai and he investigated it, why is Mordechai not bowing down to him and when he was told that Mordechai is not bowing down to him because he's a Jew In other words, the reason Ahaman Mordechai is not because he has a personal axe to grind with him. He has a personal reason he doesn't want to bow down. It's because, not because, and also it's not because he's a great rabbi or so on and so forth. It's because he's a Jew. And a Jew, just by being a Jew, not because of any fancy schmancy things that Jews have. Just because, just, the mere, mere, mere idea of being a Jew means you don't bow down to anything other than God. He don't recognize any other power besides Hashem. Haman made himself into entire. He was an inflated, egotistical, self-centered being who believed he's a power. He believed he's a somebody. He believed he's a force in the universe. He believes he's a power to be reckoned with. That's what he believed in. I am me. I'm so powerful. I'm almost a king. And I have power and I have strength. That's a Amalek, full of himself. A Jew recognizes no one has power. No one, no one, no one has power. The only singular being that has power is Hashem. Hashem controls everything. God is the only power. We only bow down to God. When Haman comes into encounter with Mordechai, Mordechai makes him into a nobody. Do you understand what's happening over here? He's so inflated. He's filled with self-importance. He's such an important figure. But when Mordechai looks at him, he knows in Mordechai's eyes he is nothing and he can't stand that. But he knows it's not Mordechai. He knows it's every Jew. Ki am Mordechai. It's the people of Mordechai. There is a people in this world, there are a people in this world who recognize a higher existence and that that higher existence is their only reality. And that means that in their eyes I'm a nobody. And that provoked him. He couldn't stand that. Because he, he was full of himself. So he wants to rid the world of them so that he can be a somebody. But for that he has to rid the world from from every Jew. So looking at the story, why did the whole story of Purim happen? Why did the whole decree happen? Because we were too Jewish. That's the story. If Mordechai would not have been acting so Jewish... Knowing that we're... Okay, it's one thing when you're, when you're living in Yerushalayim and there's a base amigdash and we have our own power, we have our own government. So then act like a Jew. But you're amongst the nations, you're in exile. Our, the, our survival is dependent on the mercy of the king and the, and, and, and the government and so on and so forth. Recognize, acknowledge it and behave yourself. If you have to bow, bow. Say to God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But bow down. No, Mordechai doesn't do that. But what does the decree come about if you read the story on the surface level? Why is there a decree? Because Jews provoked the Gentile. And you should never have done that. Don't flaunt your Judaism in front of the Gentile. You're too Jewish. That's what it looks like. And you should know a lot of people in Persia and a lot of the Jewish people blamed Mordechai for this whole decree. Because who needs a rabbi like that? Wait, But then the Talmud says, you have to read the inside story. Because if you only read externally, you don't get the story. The Talmud says the exact, as we said before, the whole story of Purim is a paradox. The Talmud says, okay, so Haman makes the decree. Who's Haman? See, the Talmud is coming from a whole different perspective. So Haman is upset. So Haman is angry. And therefore what? Who is he? Who is he to threaten the Jewish people? Who is Haman that he should put the Jewish people in jeopardy to the point that he almost is able to destroy them? And we know that God agreed to the destruction of Israel. Had God not agreed to the destruction of Israel, it would never have come to that point. It says in the pasukum, Mordechai knows everything that happened. The Medrash says that Mordechai knows what happened. doesn't mean he knows that Haman has a paper. doesn't care about Haman's paper. The Jewish people are not dependent on any pa- powers, any papers. All that is meaningless. Mordecai knows that up there in heaven it was sealed. God gave the chas shalom. God gave his consent. Not only that, he even signed it, as the medrash tells us. That there was a signature, it was signed already. And Eliyahu Navi said it wasn't signed in blood, but it was signed with tit, with... Um, with uh, lime or whatever they used. That was signed, but not with blood, yet means there's still, they're still a tiny but we can still do something. But God, Hashem, went along with it. Why? So the Gemara asks why. Why did the Jewish people deserve to die? And the Gemara says, psh, interesting thing, total opposite of what we're seeing. It's because years ago, God got very upset at the Jewish people that there were Jews who were afraid of Nebuchadnezzar, and Ebuchadnezzar made a big, 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 big um, statue of himself. And there were Jews. And everybody had to bow down to it. And Jews bowed down to it. Now, the Jews did, didn't bow down to this statue because they believed in Ebuchadnezzar as a god. They were terrified. Hundreds of Jews were murdered and massacred and brutally tortured. It was scared they were scared, they bowed down. And when they bowed down, it was without any belief. It's not like they believed in the power of Nebuchadnezzar. They knew Nebuchadnezzar is a wicked person who is going to die one day, a rotten death, and he's going to burn forever in hell. They knew that. There was no question to the Jewish people what's what's the story with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar?" But for the time being, they were scared. They were scared for themselves. They were scared for their wives, for their families, for their children. So they bowed down. Bowing down to to that idol, that's an idol, that's... Idolatry. And idolatry is the most severe, severe sin. Because at the very, very deepest, deepest, deepest point of a Jew, is a Jew is a Jew's connection to God. That you believe, we believe in one God. We believe in Hashem. And this is a severance, severance in the deepest place of the Jew that the Jew is bowing to an idol. Rachman al Now, there's a question in the Mefarshim, Rashi, Tosfus, there's an argument. If Nevuchadnezzar's if if um, um statue was a god, Did the put it up to bow. In other words, when people bowed down, did they bow down in it in terms of a religious in a religious way, or was it just bowing down in honor and respect, but not in a in a, mean, in a manner of of of, of, a, of a some form of an idol? So, according to those who say that it was an idol, we can understand The Jews did an avera of idolatry. Even if we say that it wasn't an idol. And it was just a statue. But for those who were not there, watching, or from a distant place, who knew that they're bow- who saw them bowing down and not knowing all the details, it looked like they're bowing down to something other than Asha. What's the problem? I mean, what's the problem? The problem is idolatry. But you're going to say it's not real idolatry. In other words, should God really, 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 truly, deeply be offended? Should God really be offended by us, you know, by the Jewish people giving, giving some, some, some recognition or some honor to, to some other deity, other power other than God? We never mean it. He knows we don't mean it. We're doing it without our heart. We're doing it. Quite on the contrary, it hurt these Jews very deeply that they were bowing down. They were doing it just, just it was a physical empty act without any spiritual inner content, without our inner identity. Here is the idea. In every sin, that's forgivable, but not an idolatry. In a regular sin, you can say, it wasn't intended, it wasn't meant, it was only an external thing, I, I didn't, in, inwardly, I wasn't involved with it. With idolatry, it's different. And the reason why it's idolatry, it's different, has to do with the depth of the connection of the Jewish soul with God. We all know, familiar with the story, Hannah and her seven children. We're familiar with the story, the Hanukkah story. The ultimate story of Jewish heroism, The heroic act of a family, of a mother and seven children. Where King Antiochus on, on Hanukkah took child after child after child and brutally, brutally tortured him to death in front of the other children with the worst suffering and pain. And yet every child was willing to accept that brutal murder for what purpose? Not to become disconnected from God not to accept any other God and the end of the story is that there's one little child left over, he's a little child the other ones were older, were older they were like teenagers or even older this was a little kid, an 8 year old kid a 9 year old kid, a 7 year old kid and, and, and Antiochus is like feeling so embarrassed in front of everybody that he's been defeated by this little by, 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 they defeated him, they're stronger than him and it you know, bothered him so much so he calls this little kid and he says, listen here, or whatever, you know, you don't want to die like them and I want to promise you. But you know, I understand that this is very deep to you. You really, really, really can't betray your God. But you know what? Let's just play a little game. I'm going to throw my ring down. No one is going to see. You're going to bend down to pick up my ring. So you're totally, totally not bowing down to it. It's just that it should look for the appearance for the people that are out there watching in the arena. Those that are watching, it will look like I, at least I have one. At least they can f- claim victory that, I, that for something. That's all. Yeah. But I don't mean it. Just, Just bend down. And the kid defied the order and he chose to go follow his brothers. He was tortured as well and killed and then the mother died as well. Unbelievable story. What is it? What is it? What is it that doesn't allow a Jew even to pretend externally? The answer is our connection to God is not based on any rationale and any reason. Our connection to Hashem is because our neshama is one with Hashem. And a soul cannot be, cannot deny God. Our souls are one with God. And that's why in our deepest, deepest, deepest inner, inner, inner point of our being that we're usually not conscious of, we're not just usually, we're hardly ever conscious of it, it's our deepest, inner, innermost essence. We cannot ever, ever, ever let God down. And everything that Hashem wants, we will do it. We are totally, completely devoted with absolute devotion to Hashem, with, 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 with complete devotion. If so, how come we can, God forbid, many times, ignore God's wants, and, and even when we know something is sinful, we can do an Avera, chas v'shalom, from time to time, and not, even though we know it's against God's will, the answer is, because we're not in touch, we're not conscious of that deep place we're not aware that by doing this sin I'm really denying God if I was to know that I am denying Hashem it's almost as if if I'm speaking a a little bit of gossip or if I'm taking something that's not mine a little bit or if I'm uh, eating something that's slightly not kosher and while I'm doing that I am denouncing God I'm basically saying God you're not (laughs) it would be impossible to do we can't it's just that we 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 don't feel that Oh, when it comes to idolatry, Sireb Shnir Zalman Liadi tells us in Tanya, the reason why historically the Jewish people gave their lives in martyrdom, Al-Kiddush Hashem, is because when it becomes crystal clear, that what? That what you're, what, chas what a person, that what God forbid you are being asked to do, is in, apt, is in direct denial of Hashem, and therefore you're, you are disassociating yourself with God, a Jew can't do that. He can't. And the Alter Rebbe goes so far and says, once you, once that spark, your inner spark of your soul, is provoked and is revealed, it doesn't allow us to become disconnected from Hashem, even in an external act that we're not, that we're not identifying with. In other words, of the story with the child. It's an ex- external act. The little kid was doing what? He was just going to bow down and pick up the ring. He wasn't truly, deeply bowing to to, to the idol at all. He said, I don't, he's just picking up a ring. He's not going to do it. Why? Because this child at that moment, after seeing his six brothers giving their lives al-Kiddush Hashem, he was fully cognizant, fully aware, fully in touch with his nesham. And with his pintal yid, with that inner, inner, inner point of his Jewishness that is one with God. And therefore, anything, even a tiny remote, remote, remote connection to idolatry, even if I'm not just touching it with a 30-foot pole, I can't even do that. Once your true Jewishness is revealed, you can't even touch an idol with a 100-foot pole. That's what the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya. An amazing understanding of what a Jew is all about. Therefore, when Jews bowed down to Navuchanetzar's idol, they were, God forbid, messing with the deepest, deepest inner point of their soul. They were really, at least it appeared like, God forbid, they have completely severed themselves from Hashem. In other words, the Deepest sin possible. The greatest disconnect. Now, here's the thing. The Jewish people, our only survival is connection to God. We spoke last week. We, the Jewish people, are not... It's about time we realize this because it's been ridiculous if we try to convince ourselves something else. We've seen it again and again and again. We, the Jewish people, are not one of the 70 nations. We're not... Every other nation has a natural existence in this world. We, the Jewish people, don't have a natural existence in this world. It's not. We're, we're, our, everything about us is miracles day in and day out. The whole story of Israel. Uh, all the wars in the land of Israel. Uh, every, I mean, these things don't make any sense. The the way, the, the way uh, like going through the Jewish people coming out of the ashes of the Holocaust and being able to rebuild the way we've rebuilt. And again and again and again A nation outside of its country Surviving against all odds It doesn't make any sense So how are we here? We're only here for one purpose: We're God's people in this world He and Ayla, We're a miracle And our existence Our, our existence is only In as much as that we're one with God And when Jews went to that switch What's the switch? Our connection to God And hit the switch down Shut that switch down Meaning closed and disconnected, pulled that wire, or severed that, 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 that connection, we have no more existence. And that's the reason why the decree of Haman can come. The Jewish people have no existence, so we're going to be wiped off the face of the, of the planet. It took a few years. Nebuchadnezzar, 70 years later, it happened. But eventually, the Jewish people are going to disappear. God forbid. That's what scared Mordechai so much. You see, again, it's an amazing thing. From externally, when you look at the the story of the Megillah from the outside, it appears that the whole decree came about because of one fanatical Jew who is not believing, who who, who doesn't want to bow to Haman and is believing in God. That's what it looks like on the outside. He brings all the problems. But the truth is, yes, the reason why it was an act of defiance that provoked and got a Haman going is because the issue, the issue over here is that is that connection do you bow to Haman or do you bow to Hashem the reason why Haman had power to bring about such a decree in the first place and threaten the Jewish people is because we God forbid have disconnected in such a deep place by bowing to thee. and as I said earlier even if it was just external when it comes to idolatry that's not okay And that will give me back the story. I mentioned the story Thursday night, but I'll say it again. I just, I just read the story last week about my great-grandfather uh, during the war in the ghetto in the, in the city of Dembitz. So he had a daughter. The whole family was saved in the attic uh, by a righteous Gentile. You know Now there's the whole, the whole issue going on with Poland denying their involvement in the war. Personally, for our family, there was an individual Polish angel who did save the family not saying that that evolved for all, the, for, for all of Poland, but there were a few tzaddikim, righteous people. So our family was, sent by, was saved by a, by a Polish who had them in the attic for uh, 21 months. Anyways, one of my grandmother's sisters did not make it up to the attic. Anyways, a few weeks before that, she was able to escape. She had a plan. She was going to go to Warsaw, but she was going to have to live in a Gentile home and pretend she's a Gentile. She came to her father to ask him his opinion. My grandfather was a real real she He said to him, really, something like this, I can't advise you. It's your life. That's what he said there. It's your life, I can't advise you. But being that you're asking me, I can't, I can't tell you what to do. Because it's a matter of life and death. But being that you're asking me my opinion, I will tell you. My opinion is it's a horrible time for the Jewish people. It's really, really bad. And Jews need to do whatever they can to save themselves, whatever it takes. So you really need to do something, but only on one condition. That if whatever plans we have to run away, or to escape, doesn't work out, we are willing to die like proud Jews. And not, God forbid, to disassociate ourselves with being Jewish. That not. So even if it was just that she's going to pretend that she's a Gentile and so and so and so forth, he, did, he told her again. And that's why we have thousands of Jews who told their children throughout history, you know, better die as a Jew than live as a Gentile. That has always been, because that's the root of it. A Jew cannot sever himself from Hashem. So the story of Purim happened because we messed with that nekuda, with that deep, 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 deep inner point. That's what scared Mordechai. Have the Jews really severed their bond? And if we severed our bond, What's there to do now? We have no protection. We have no... Of course, God forbid, this, can, this horrible thing can happen. When Mordechai went and he met the three children and he told the little kids, tell me your psukim. And what did these kids say? Now, first let's understand something. These children said to Mordechai to psukim when they were coming home from Cheder. It's very important that they were doing it when they were coming home from Cheder. A lot of people send their kids and give them a Jewish education just so that they can have their bar mitzvah or so they can have their thing. It remains, it remains within the sanctuary of shul. Your Jewishness is supposed to remain only in the sanctuary of shul. But once you leave the shul and you're coming back home, then you can drop all your Jewish studies and leave it in the shul. Leave it in that holy place. The question is, what are the kids taking home with them when they're leaving their Jewish studies? And that's what Mordecai wanted to know. What are they bringing home with? He asked these little kids, what's your psukim? He didn't ask these kids, their psukim, to get a prophecy, as we spoke earlier. He wanted to take the temperature of the Jewish people. And when you want to take the temperature of the Jewish people, you check the little children. Because where the little children are at, that's where you know the future of the Jewish people is. That's when you get the true pulse of the Jewish people is you look at the little children. Mordechai asked the little children, and the three gave him three psukim, the three psukim that the three children gave him are three levels in emuna and in bitochoh emuna is belief and trust in god and when mordechai saw level after level first the lowest level of emuna the base, what we might call emuna basic then he heard emuna plus and then he heard emuna platinum he heard three levels of emuna he heard extra extra higher levels of emuna and he saw it was solid by the kids, he knew the Jewish people are doing okay. Why? Because he knew that the spark is still there. Even if it looked like, for a moment, it looked like the fire went out, but he checked with the little kids and he saw the flame. The Jewish spark that is inextinguishable is still burning. What happened? So let's take a look What, the, what what's the difference between the three verses. In the first verse, the says, tirami pachad says, don't be afraid of a of a sudden terror. From the wickedness of the wicked. Don't be afraid of that. That that is coming. In that pasuk. It doesn't say anything about. It doesn't say anything about. Um, it doesn't say anything about. A, uh, a reason why you shouldn't be afraid. It just says don't be afraid of the wicked. Don't be, don't be afraid of a sudden terror. Don't be afraid. The second verse, interesting, gives a reason, first of all, ki imanu because God is with us. There is a reason. But also, the, it's going a little deeper. It's not talking about, when you're suddenly scared, don't be afraid. It's talking about, utsu the esufar. There's no outright open threat. There is just... They are scheming schemes. In other words, there, you know that you're living in a world where there are anti-Semites, and these anti-Semites are planning plans. You don't know what there is. There's no like, edict that came out. There's no threat right now. You're just afraid of the general idea that Jews are a minority in this world, and there are so many anti-Semites, There's so many people would rather have the world Judenrein, and you're scared. From the schemes that So the Pasuk says... Not only don't be afraid of them, you should know Utsu Eitzah, the Sufer, it's going to be annulled. Finally, the last Pasuk is not even talking about any kind of a danger. What's the Pasuk talking about? Pasuk is saying, in your old age, I'm still here. Even when you're getting very old, I'm with you. I'm holding you. I'm taking you. I, am make, I made you. I'm supporting you. So what are these three things? What's really happening over here is like this. The first thing and the most basic level of Emunah is that a Jew has this deep, almost natural sense that God is in control and there's nothing else in control other than God. So if God forbid we hear of something threatening, some scare, the first thing is a Jew, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Doesn't mean that this, this this terrible thing will you know you're what you know when you're in the hands of Hashem. It's almost the concept and the idea of Gamzulatova. There is nobody or no power in the world that has control over me. If I need to die, God forbid in this situation, if God forbid the, 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 the people are gonna get in this situation, people are gonna get killed. Gamzulatova, this too is for the good, we don't understand. It's not a Nazi that's doing it. It's not a Kozak that's doing it. Who is it? It's the Abish. it's God that's doing it. And, it's, and this is not, it's not with an explanation. It's like an intrinsic, deep awareness in a Jew's soul that God is and so is. So that's a very, that's called a basic level of Amuna, The Amuna and, and a concept of Gamzul HaTovah. But then there's an advanced level. Let's ra- raise it a notch. Raise it a notch is as follows. We know not just that Gamzula tova, but we understand ukel, that God is with us. And because Hashem is with us, we know that every threat that's coming against us, a Jew is able to have Emuna and Bitachon that that threat is not going to materialize. And let me explain this for one moment, the difference between the two. You know, there is an argument about the Bitachon. Bitachon means trusting God. There are those who say that trust in God means just not to have anxiety. It doesn't mean that, let's say, God forbid, someone is sick, it doesn't mean that you trust in God you're going to be healthy. You don't know, because maybe you don't deserve to be healthy. God forbid. What then? You don't have anxiety and nervousness because you know you're in Hashem's hands. So either way, it's good, because whatever God does is for the good. That's a level, that's bitachon. That's not Hasidic bitachon that's the bitachon in the non hasidic world the concept of bitachon is whatever will happen is good hasidism came and I once gave a long class and it's a very important class to advance bitachon to a whole new level no 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 bitachon means tracht gut vet zain gut i'm thinking positive it will be positive i know that god will for sure take care of me and that which is threatening against my life is going to go away i have certainty how do you know i i know why? Kiyamanu Kao, because God is with me. It's much harder to do this. It's much harder to do this because sometimes it's like, how do you know? How do you know? How are you sure? How can No 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 no? You push everything out and you say, I'm relying on you, Hashem, just because. Because you're my daddy. And you, and because you're my daddy, I know for sure you're not gonna let go of me. You're gonna take care of me and you're gonna nullify that or or, or, or remove that threat. You're gonna protect me. The next level. That's the difference between the two Psukim. The first Pasek just says, Altira, don't be afraid, because you're in Hashem's hands. The second Pasek says, Utsu Eitzar, they, they, they scheme a scheme. The Sufar, it's going to be erased. Dabru Da, going to be annulled. Dabru Daver, they make a plan to hurt us. V'loyakum, it's not going to stand. Why? There's an explanation. Here there's, but here you need already more advanced thinking. You can't just, the natural amuna that, uh, that a Jew has, intrinsically, that amuna is just that, that God is everywhere and God is in control that's number one this is already a more sophisticated element the sophistication is that I know that God is with me and therefore I know that Hashem is going to take care of me He's going to be only good then comes the next level and here's the deepest level of Amunah the deepest level of Amunah what happens if the threat is not from some hidden anti-Semites I'm just becoming an old man I'm reaching an older age Na- the natural occurrence of life is that you get old, you get weak, you get a little sick, you get a little ill, the body starts aching and quaking. You know, you need a little bit uh, of, of oiling over here by the joints, and here's kratz, and here, there. and you're realizing that, and then you feel kind of that that's just nature. It's not a matter of, of Hashem. It's just the natural world, God. you Are going to fight nature? The nature is nature. Who created nature? God created the world that that people get old. And when you get old, slowly the body disintegrates. And then it comes a day that the body... As a Jew, you don't even have to give credence to that. (laughs) Sounds sounds amazing. Don't even give credence to that. You're a Jew. You have one thing. You have to serve God. If you have to serve God, you know you're totally above nature. How long are you going to live? I don't know. I'm going to live forever. That never happened to anybody who cares I'm saying the essence the essence of the idea is nature and natural phenomenon doesn't really limit it doesn't constrict I'm not saying that if someone really believes he's going to live forever he's going to live forever now yeah because we're coming to Mashiach but the idea is you don't have to accept the limitations and the boundaries of the natural order just because so it is so science says Science says, very nice Science is applicable to everybody But not to a Jew Why? Because as a Jew you're connected To the maker of everything And that's why you need more explanation over here What does the Pusik say? Even if I'm old God is still here Not only that I made the whole world I made you and I made nature And I'm telling you I am with you I'm supporting you, I'm holding you So therefore don't Don't limit yourself with the limitations Of the natural world and when a Jew disregards that, the Jew can do the impossible. A person can accomplish, a person can do when he is 90, 100, and 110 amazing things. When? If he knows what? That he's a Jew, and on a Jew all the limitations don't, 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 don't apply. That's already not just a more sophisticated Amuna. that's two notches up in Amunah and in Bitachin. That even the most, the most concrete realities of nature doesn't apply to me. doesn't apply. I need to serve Hashem. That's what I know. Now we can understand the difference between these three children. It's interesting. I forgot to ask this one little question. If you look at the story, Mordechai speaks to three children. The first one, it says, he tells him, tell me your pasuk, and he just tells him his pasuk. The second pasuk, the second child, (coughs) the child makes an introduction. The child says, I was in cheder, I I read Ani I read in Cheder, Psukim and I, this is the last Pesuk that I learned. What's the difference? The first child doesn't say I read. It almost when you have to go, go back to the first child and say did the first child only learn one Pesuk? Since kids go to Cheder, they learn a few Psukim Why did the first child only learn one verse? He doesn't say I learned in Cheder. But based on this explanation that i that we're we're going through today, this is Lobava Rebbe's understanding of this midrash. So beautiful. He says like this, the first kid only learned one pasuk because the first kid was a very, very, very young kid. These were three ages. The first king was a little kid who just went to Cheder and this was like, he only learned one pasuk. He doesn't even say that I learned. They taught him this pasuk. This is what the Rebbe was teaching him and he was following. This was the one verse. Why? Because And what's the verse? This is the most elementary level. There's no intellectual understanding. God is with me, so and so forth. Only one thing. There is the development of the essential, natural inherent belief that a Jew really has. And that is that God is here and I don't have to worry. Don't be afraid. Like the Balshemtov's father, the holy Baal Shem Tov's father, when the Baal Shem Tov was five years old, the Baal Shem Tov's father took his little hand when he was, the Baal Shem Tov's father, the big tzaddik Rebbe Le'ezer, was leaving the world. He held the holy Baal Shem Tov's hand and he said, little Yisraelik, don't be afraid of anything in the world other besides God. And that's the message of a little child. So when this kid comes out, tell me your pasuk, which pasuk does he say? Don't be afraid. The next child is already saying, I I studied and I learned because he's already more knowledgeable, he's an older kid. He's able to reach to a higher level of his amunah because he can develop the amunah more. And what's the level of the amunah more? Not stand that I'm not afraid because I'm in God's hands, but I know that since Hashem is with us, the decrees are going to be nullified. And everything that is done against me is going to, it's good. Why? Because Hashem is with me. The third child is already older and more developed, and he's reached that level of amunah, of appreciation, understanding that even things of old age, even inherent limitations that are in, inherently within creation and within the world, don't restrict and limit a Jew. Why? You need even more explanation. Explanation is, I'm taking, I made you, I take, I created nature, but I made you my one and only child, so you're not subject to it. All that explanation, and that gives that Amunah. When Mordechai hears the Jewish children, and he hears three levels of amuna in the Jewish children, he sees that there's so much potential. He sees that, Jewish people are deeply connected and as we said earlier when does he hear the children saying it? when they're leaving school it's one thing when they're in the hallways in the classrooms they have the Samuna they're going home with it and even coming home they have that that deep connection he knows now that even if this spark this inner spark of the Jewish people has fallen dormant by the parents by many of the people of the older generation the young children have the potential to wake it up by the parents they're gonna fan the flames of that amona. So Mordechai, what does he do? It's interesting. He doesn't. He doesn't see when he when he hears it from them. He doesn't say this is a prophecy. It's not a prophecy. Besura, besurais taivais. Interesting. They gave me besura. It doesn't say besura. One one good news. Besurais taivais. Many many good news. What are the many good news? Each child notified him different. Other, another good news that the Jews have Amunah, not only on level 1, but on level 2, not only on level 2, but on level 3. Dafkin this order, that's why they use this order, because this order shows on, from a lower level, a more basic level, to a more advanced level, and even a higher level of Amunah. Besur is they're giving me good news, I have hope for the Jewish people. And what does he do? Now he knows is the chance that we have to wake up that spark by all the Jewish people. So he puts on the sack clothing, and the ash, And he runs out in the street and he cries out, Jews! Yidden, wake up! Not that Haman Stam wants to kill us. Jews, wake up, you're Jewish. Reconnect to your soul. Reconnect to who you are. Identify with who your true being is. You are a Jew. You're connected to Hashem. The children gave Mordechai the inspiration to go out and wake up the Jewish people because from their spark, he was going to ignite the spark amongst all the Jewish people. And the Jewish people realigned themselves with God. And the moment they realigned themselves with God, what happened to Haman? He became like a pinata. Finished. Over. Gone. Nothing there. Because the whole, the whole decree is only when we disconnected. And that's why Haman says to these children, he got very angry, he says, you are going to kill first. Because when Haman heard what these children said, he saw in them what what angered him in Mordecai, he saw in them. He saw that the power of this mysterious nephesh, this defiance, this, this, what we we say, this this madness, this connection to God, this fanaticism of attachment to God that transcends all logic and reason, he sees it in the children. That very thing that got him angry about Mordecai not bowing down, he sees it in the children not bowing down. In other words, the species of the Jews, he senses it very, very, very high. You know, Homan has like a, like they have these, um, uh, 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 sometimes, um, what are they called? Detectors. They're supposed to detect uh, levels of carb, uh, um, um, in a house. They put it on, on, on um, uh, what is it called? Uh, co- what? Carbon monoxide. So they have these sensors. Homan has a sensor that senses, senses Jewishness. Senses godliness, senses Messirah Snafesh, senses Amunah. And he's getting a very high reading next to these children. He's getting a very, very high reading of pure, original, powerful, Jewish, rock solid Messirah Snafish. He's sensing it in the children. And that bothers him more than anything else. And that's exactly what he's fighting against. That's why these children he wants to kill first. So the future in the, the lesson of all of this, the future in the Jewish people is in how the children are doing. It. And the children, so what do we do with the children? It's with the little children that we need to, even at any time, the children is where we need to give them the purest of the purest. Not be afraid to speak to them about things sometimes which we ourselves sometimes, like with our sophisticated mind, we say, how is that going to be? What? For instance, the belief that Mashiach is coming now, now, now. To say we well, don't make the kids crazy we don't give them that kind of emunah what's gonna no 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 these are these purest of the pure you need to give them the truth of the purest of the pure and that's the fir- that's what's really 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 the entire future of Israel and the Jewish people Ordechai saw that this was evoked this was revealed and this already spread amongst all the Jewish people like a wildfire and it became like to the Jewish people there was light, there was joy, the Sasa and May we see great miracles like it was by Yamim Ahim, Bazman Hazeh.
1: Cai lá, diga da da ami, ami, o si, si, ao tiro, ami, ami, é sua